Shall we pray together? May the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be acceptable to you, Father, you who are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Have you seen the advertising? I think it's fairly recent. I don't shop that much, but in retirement, I guess I shop a lot more. Have you seen the advertising, The Good Life? Particular product, I believe. The Good Life. Um, or another phrase I think is used is, Life is good. Maybe you've seen that one. Life is good. What a great concept. What an advertising slogan. I wonder if you've ever seen the bumper sticker. It reads, well, maybe you don't read them because you're driving well, but I've seen the odd bumper sticker. And it reads this way, As a matter of fact, I do own the road. Maybe you've seen that one in the past. I believe that bumper sticker is a response, right, to uh, the imagined expressions of people in the past. Only in your car, of course, not in their car, but in your car, in the past. Some so-and-so was driving down the road in a very un- um, uh, in a very careless way, and someone in your car says, do you think you own the road? Oh, you never said that. Oh, okay. I think the other is a response to that one. You know, we live in a culture where more and more we seem to be independent of each other. We seem to be doing our own thing. And life is good the way I want to run it. We find ourselves dependent on our own resources and ourselves. And you know there's pride being taken in doing it yourself. In being your own boss. Unfortunately for some of you, you are your own boss in terms of work. In the lives of many in our culture, loss is not an option. Control is the point. As a matter of fact, power is the goal if possible. Power over my life and power over the lives of others. Unfortunately, from my perspective in doing pastoral care, power is such a basic element in domestic abuse. Domestic abuse is about power. Domestic abuse, in the end, is about me. And our society is crippled because loss is not an option. Some time ago, I went to the motor vehicle branch to get a learner's license for a motorcycle. And as I sat before the computer screen to have my road knowledge and bike knowledge tested, I experienced a threat of being embarrassed. I was not in control of my life. Someone else was determining my fate. Now, I had not paid close enough attention to the possibility that I would be tested on road signs. Apparently, that's always the case. Heads up. And so I'd not studied the road sign part. I'd studied the bicycle, the motorbike part. I nearly failed because I didn't study that part. The bike part was fine. Oh, I did get through. But I did not like the experience of loss of someone else controlling 
what I went through. And one other illustration. Some time ago, I was on a canoe trip with a bunch of folk, and I was in a canoe with someone else in our canoe. So I was in the stern doing the steering, and as we were going through some very fast water, my paddle locked in a, a bunch of trees on the side and broke off just like that. And there I was in the stern, supposedly doing the controlling in a fast water. My bow paddler, to his brilliance, sensed the crisis, reached quickly back, picked up our spare paddle, and handed it to me. And I was back in control again. But in that particular case, I did not like that sudden sense of loss of control. Those few seconds still live in my mind as I race down that fast water. But this morning, my friends, as we look at our text, loss can teach us something. Loss can teach us something. In our text, Jesus is teaching about riches and about an attitude of the time. We see it in his response to this rich young man who said, All these I've kept since I was a boy. I believe we live in a time where we want control. We want independence. We want to be able to say, I've been there, I've done that, I've got it covered. You may remember, some of you, back in October the 18th of 1992, it was the World Series in Atlanta. World Series of Baseball. And the U.S. Marines marched out holding the Canadian flag, and it was upside down. Now, an upside-down flag is a symbol of distress. An upside-down flag is a symbol of distress. And as a nation of people, when it comes to our attitude about riches, I think we are in distress. The flag is upside-down as it is now and was at the time of Jesus talking to the, into this young man. We live in a world very wealthy where we are here in the West by comparison to the rest of Canada and the rest of our world. The possession of money and things and rights tend to give a false sense of security and less dependence to our trust of God. In his book, No God But God, Os Guinness writes, we began in the 70s as a resurgent of moral leadership, increasingly became a reliance on a sense of entitlement in the 1980s, relying on social standing coupled with the appeal to the past. As this replaced a reliance on God, it became an idol and idolatry affecting many within the church, he wrote. Frank Stagg, in commentating on Mark, writes Jesus uh, that the rich man failed in his unwillingness to surrender to follow Jesus. He failed in that all gain begins with loss. Jesus was concerned in two areas this morning in the text. 
Two areas that were influencing this man. Who is both rich and young? One text actually indicates he was a ruler. And I want to deal with this text this morning briefly by looking at the past, the present, and the future. First of all, the past. What money does for one who has it? What money does for one who has it? Whatever his situation was, he had resources more by comparison than those of his contemporaries. And Jesus knew this, but began with the consideration first of the law. He first responded to this young man by quoting some of the Ten Commandments. He had a purpose in this, my friends, because the Ten Commandments have been given and are given to show the Hebrews that they're not able to be perfect. To show the Hebrews that you can't follow them all. All ten of them. The point is, you're not perfect. As the Ten Commandments were given to us. The laws were given so we might experience loss. Humility is a result of a study of the Ten Commandments. Humility was not the result of this young man's understanding of the Ten Commandments. No attitude of repentance there. He said, teacher, all these I've kept. Beep. Wrong answer. (laughs) Wrong answer. Wealth was considered a sign of God's blessing at the time. And maybe that idea is still around today. We call this entitlement, a term used to describe today's culture as products of the past that have been given these to us and we deserve them and we want to keep them. It's called entitlement. And he said, I'm worthy of your consideration for God has already blessed me. How do I find eternal life? Sort of check off the last thing. Because everything else is organized. I've already worked it out. So Jesus, perceiving this young man's life as only Jesus can do, and as only Jesus does still today, still today through the Holy Spirit and through Scripture, Jesus perceives our attitude, perceives our life. Even in 2016 in East Vancouver, Jesus perceives what we think. The same way, friends. And he said to the young man, what I want you to do is sell all you have. Sell all you have. Then you come back and see me. What does money do to those who have it? Secondly, this morning, the present. What a person does with it. What a person does with it. He moves to dependence on himself, he or she. Dependence on themselves, on superiority, and on self-seeking. It's a typical move. It's not just him in the story. It's us. All these I've kept since I was a boy. James Dobson some time ago wrote, The level of expectation on this generation is incredibly high. End of quote. 
Let's look briefly at some of the elements of a generation of which most of us are a part. Four elements that Miller wrote in his book on boomer spirituality. Four elements that are relevant and alive today in this whole area of the present understanding of loss. Spirituality that prevents one from moving from dependence to dependence on God. From dependence on themselves to dependence on God. First of all, these are people, they are the product of a consumer generation that has taught them that their life is validated not by who they are, but by what they have. Commercials totally picture that today. If you're not, if you're not unlike me and you, use your, you don't use your... P- if you're like me and use your PVR, of course, you don't watch commercials anymore. But if you do watch commercials because you don't use your PVR, you've seen it. All that's subtle in commercials today. Meaning and purpose are found in what you wear. Meaning and purpose are found in what you drive. Meaning and purpose are found in where you live, what you can afford, and I suppose even on hair restorer. The rich young man would understand us today. Or he, or we can understand him and what was difficult for him right then when Jesus said, sell all you have and then come back and see me. Secondly, the second element that encourages dependence on self is living for the present. Ours is the first mind, particularly, is the first generation to live under the threat of nuclear annihilation. And therefore, we've treated each moment as it was our last. And we find this in music. We find it in the business world. We find it in short-term profits rather than long-range planning. Personally, we go with the flow. We live it up. And my friends, the byproduct, as I'm sensing it today, in the lives of those much younger than me is, go with the moment. It doesn't matter what I take and ingest. It doesn't matter if it's risky. I'm going to go with the moment with my friends and take a chance on a high. And we're facing, because of this loss, of a sense of loss, of this idea that I'm first and I'm number one, a crisis in our land with the loss of our young people. Oh, not the first crisis, and I'm sure not the last, but certainly a byproduct, I feel, of the attitude we've taught our kids today. They're number one. They're most important. They're what matters. Next, number three, this leads to the third factor that moves us from that refuses to allow us to move from dependence upon ourselves to dependence upon God is instant gratification. Keeps people dependent on themselves. Credit spending, buying now, paying later, microwave ovens, believe it or not, and a culture that hates to wait. Have you ever heard yourself saying, have you ever heard yourself saying this? Don't answer, just listen. Why can't they wait? Why can't they earn money for this? Why do they have to charge everything? Guess who taught them that, folks? My generation. Instant gratification. And lastly, the trivialization of our culture. The trivialization of our culture has led us to, to keep us dependent 
on ourselves instead of the Father. There is little value placed on things that last. We live in a culture that trivializes historical events, trivializes the things in church life, trivializes hymns. And so we see rampant escapism. This rich young man was dealing with similar struggles, I feel, in his culture. Similar struggles about the poor, about little children, about sinners. By the way, I ran across a new definition of sinners. Ethically challenged persons. It flows much better, doesn't it? He lived in a context of tax collectors that have the advantage. He lived in a context of people who have lack, but he doesn't appreciate it. They have need, but he doesn't have the need. And he's absolutely dependent on himself. Let's look lastly at the future. Number three, the source of freedom and life. What is the question? What is the answer to the question he asked? What is the source of freedom and life? That's what he wanted. Jesus says, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. That's the answer, folks. You will have treasure in heaven. Following Jesus for the foreseeable future. That's what you and I have today. Moving from dependence on ourselves, dependence on the culture, dependence on media, to a dependence on Jesus is still an option today. Jesus sought to free this man and current society from the tyranny of things by attempting to bring him under the sovereignty of God in which alone is freedom and life. Jesus said, one thing you lack, consider loss. His possessions stood in the way of what he wanted and needed, eternal life. It was his attitude about his possessions. Wealth itself is not the issue, of course. There were many wealthy people in Jesus' day. The story was not about wealthy people. It was about this man and his attitude to the things, the privileged things that he had. He had to come to an awareness of his need, my friends, for loss. He had to give it all up to follow Jesus. And I love the phrase in verse 21, even in the context of the arrogance, what? Jesus loved him. You read that? You heard that? Jesus loves us. He loves you, no matter what you're caught up in. No matter, let's say, George, you know, the culture has caught me. Jesus loves you. For each of us, this is the beginning to accept loss. In a culture that breeds entitlement from parents that have provided all we've needed, there is within our culture an attitude that God is not needed. And it's gone from the culture to the church, I'm sorry to say. But God is still relevant. You may have seen newspaper articles over the months and years in the past about the church itself, those who study us. Some people actually study us. I'm not sure they always get the right definition of us. Fair enough. We aren't that easy to describe, but if you describe us as biblical Christians who have faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you bypass all denominations, right? And people study us. 
Religion, the article says, brings health and happiness. Religion brings health and happiness. Sociologists say in the University of Western Ontario, fundamentalists are the happiest people on earth. Oh, here's an exacting term for you. Results from a preliminary study of nearly 300 students at the University of Western Ontario indicate that those with, quotes, a significant commitment to their faith, end of quotes, are healthier, more satisfied with life, can deal better with stress, and have shorter hospital stays than those who do not practice any religion. Jesus says, come, put it all aside and follow me. To follow is the beginning, not the end, in discovering freedom from the tyranny of ownership and selfishness. To follow God is to understand the sovereignty of God. Many for betterment, for improvement, for status and position. Today, none of these begin with loss. Status does not begin with loss. Improvement does not begin with loss. In John 3, 16, uh, John quotes Jesus. It says that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. To surrender to the person of Jesus. To surrender an attitude of entitlement, of position to God, is to experience loss. You believe it. Many of you understand that from your professions of faith. Years ago, you finally came to a point of saying, I'm a sinner. That's loss. I failed, that's loss. I have a need, that's loss. It's the beginning of loss. In Philippians, Paul writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. In this case with the rich young man, I'm sorry to tell you, oh, you know this already, it didn't work. And maybe it's the same this morning. It's not going to work. Interestingly enough, only here in the Gospels is a command by Jesus to follow him clearly rejected. It's the only place in Scripture where someone commanded, was commanded by Jesus to do something and it was rejected. In conclusion this morning, Jesus may be saying to you, whatever age you are, whatever you've experienced, George, I understand entitlement. I have been blessed, but I've also allowed it to move me to a place of dependence on myself and not dependence on God. Reg Bibby, one of the sociologists in Canada who's studied the church for 40 years or more, a peer of mine, wrote some time ago, young people today have never had greater expectations. What is the case with you and I? This morning, would you confess with hearts bowed and eyes closed, would you confess, I have lived with an attitude of entitlement of self-reliance and expectation on the good life. God, I know I'm loved by you. I'm valued in your sight. And this morning I confess 
I've allowed things to crowd you out of my life, short-term or long-term. Shall we bow for prayer together? Shall we pray? This morning, even as I've read it, maybe it struck a chord in your heart as you close your eyes and as you pray with me. And you find yourself saying, Pastor George, that's me. I have lived this way unwittingly, fair enough. I have lived this way willingly, fair enough, or deliberately. But this morning, I want to come before Jesus, confess that as I bow my head in prayer. Confess that significant area of control, of power. And this morning, I confess I must begin with laws. Once again, fresh. If you're praying like that this morning, while eyes are closed and heads are bowed, would you raise your hand with me because I want to praise with you just now. Thank you. I want to pray with you in a moment. Anyone else? Put it down. Yes, put it down. Anyone else? You've prayed that prayer with me this morning to the Father saying, this represents me. Anyone else this morning before I pray for you? Thank you, shall we pray. Precious Jesus, you have heard the hearts as only you can do because you know hearts. You have heard, dear Father, in Jesus' name, you have heard the cry. Thanks for hearing it. Thank you this morning for the acknowledgement of it. Thank you for the change of direction. Thank you that Jesus' words in these lives of these people who raised their hands did not go unnoticed. It did not go rejected. It was accepted this morning. Thank you for that this morning, Father. Go with us. Together as the church, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's continue our worship together.